Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indie. looking for a publisher for your game well we have something special just for you it's the most comprehensive listing of pc console and mobile publishers in the industry over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites you can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list and you can get it for free check it out Mystery that's right. Yeah. Oh, mysterious. <laughs> What's up, everybody? My name is Indy, and the gentleman down there sucking on that big old straw that's a big straw. That is Mr. J Powell from Powell Group Consulting. You gotta be sexually conscious, it's like rubber or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and this is Indie Game afford, Business. I can afford titanium straws, titanium straws, <laughs> straws. That's how they say it in North Carolina, anyways. Yeah, this is Indie Game Business, and we have a this is like our most guests ever. So I guess I will let everyone introduce themselves if that works. So go for it. Who's first? I'll go first. Okay. Um, I hopefully am not too glitchy. I am Toya Kristen Finley of Schmoodle Media. Hi, I'm Michelle Clough. Uh, I'm an associate partner with uh, Tail Spinners, which is a, a game writing co-op. Oh, hey, I'm Alexandra M. Lucas, and I'm a freelance game writer and narrative designer. Uh, hi, I'm Rachel Presser, assigned to media and consulting. And uh, there's too much to list of what I do. You're just going to stay tuned for the talk to find out more. I've noticed that crazy toe lady. You've probably seen me at GDC and other events. Um, yeah. So... We got together with Troy. Troy was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she mentioned the fact that, you know, with these conference cancellations, she was really excited about her talk that she was going to give, but now she didn't have anywhere to give it. And I was like, I have a solution for that. So I am going to let her take over, and I'm going to enjoy the easiest podcast that I've had to date. Uh, but we're talking about how you can market yourself and, you know, speak at conferences and all the kinds of wonderful things that go along with it. So it's kind of a, a really meta program today. But with that, Troy, yeah, you're in charge. And thank you so much for having us on. One reason why I was really excited about this talk is because this is an important part of networking and we never look at speaking at conferences in terms of networking and branding yourself. And so I've, I met Alexandra and Michelle and Rachel at conferences <laughs> and, you know, we network together and here we are networking some more. <laughs> so the, the first thing <laughs> I wanted to start out with is, you know, what was your first speaking engagement and what did you talk about? Um, I'll go first. Is that okay? <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So. My first um, like speaker engagement was in uh, 2015 at, at IndieCade. 
um, indicate East to be precise. Um, yeah, I was on a panel with um, the play um, CEO of Playcrafting um, when it was still known as the Games Forum. It was, uh, you know, no, those were totally different days back then. Um, and uh, and Sean Allen of New Challenger. We are we were just we were talking about the ups and downs of running a video game Kickstarter when it was still something of a novel concept. I think nowadays you know, it's a way different landscape for crowdfunding, way different landscape. And I actually, that was actually what Sonic Toad initially started out with um, before I branched into, you know, like, <coughs> excuse me, before I branched into, like, you know, business consulting for game developers and, uh, you know, helping the professional sector do business with game devs and then branched into media production, other things. I actually focused a lot more on crowdfunding because I had, I now had the experience, you know, I had the, uh, you know, the tax and financial know-how that people were having issues with. So it was a different landscape back then. So it was a very easy topic to get accepted at places. Um, and yeah, so I think that that talk, though, was actually what really, like, booted my career, like, to the stratosphere in you know, ways that, like, other moves just weren't accomplishing. Alex, do you want to go next or? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah uh, um, probably my first speaking engagement was at PAX Dev 2016. Um, I spoke with a colleague of mine about leveraging liberal arts skills into a game career, a career in games with, you know, focusing on um, how a lot of those skills apply to developing your resume, developing your website. Um, and then just sort of the, you know, communication skills and things. Um, and I had recently uh, concluded my time <laughs> studying game design at DigiPen. So I had recently been a student. Um, so, yeah. And that was just, you know, I have a, a, before studying game dev, I got a degree in English with a creative writing focus um, from another school. And so that was just a topic that I very passionate about. I definitely am someone, you know, I do think uh, liberal arts skills have a really solid home in games and uh, definitely advocate for that. So that was just a, that was my first opportunity, I guess. And it was um, also someone who I had, uh, she, an instructor at DigiPen who I TA'd for. And so she kind of gave me that opportunity, you know, since we submitted the talk together. English majors in the industry unite. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. not pointless. Thank yes. you. Thank oh, yeah. you. Yes. Awesome. Um, I I guess I could go next. So uh, before uh, before getting into the game industry, I did several other sort of minor public speaking engagements to do. Well, firstly, I was I was in the JET program, which is the the sort of um, uh, English uh, uh, teaching program in Japan. So of course I had to do a bunch of public speaking for that. And uh, I ended up doing a couple sessions for like kids about like anime and manga and things. Uh, but my first game industry speaking engagement was at GDC 2014 uh, about 
uh, sexualization or like how to write sexualized and interesting male characters. Uh, and the story of how I did that was kind of interesting because I was still very new to the industry. I had like only a few like very minor credits to my name, but I had made friends with, you know, people like Toya as well as uh, Tom Abernathy, who was uh, head of the like the narrative summit committee. Uh, and I remember we were at like we were at a bar after sessions, we were talking and I was like, I saying to him, um, hey, you know, there's all these, you know, there's all this discussion about like sexualized female characters. Uh, and I don't see any Anybody talking about the fact that you know hey some of us are attracted to men but there's no focus on like how do you make a, a, an attractive male character there isn't really a, a model for a sexualized male character man I'd love to go to a session about that and Tom in his beautiful amazing wisdom said you should pitch a talk about that and so I did and then it somehow ended up being like the the like number one rated talk of a narrative summit that year so then i was like all right i guess this is what i'm doing now this is this is what i'm talking about <laughs> so uh so yeah i i had a great sort of uh first first session and uh first speaking session in the industry uh so without getting into how old i am um i don't even <laughs> remember what year it was it was either 1999 or 2000 and it was when I was still a master's student. Uh, I was getting a master's in English and creative writing. Yes, again, English majors unite. Um, I went to an academic conference where I also had a uh, paper published. And I was looking at uh, stereotypes of Black characters, especially in films made by Black filmmakers. So that was my beginning. And then as far as games goes, I have a very similar story as Michelle. Um, I went to my first uh, writer's roundtable, which Richard Dansky hosts every year at GDC. And I was very new to the industry, knew nothing about game development. I heard people using all these terms I had never heard of, and I was having to figure out based on the conversation what the heck they were talking about. And so I went up to him afterwards and I said, you know, it would be really great if there were a roundtable that was specifically for people who are looking to get into game writing, you know, maybe they were already in the industry and they wanted to focus on game writing. And he said, you know, the logistics of that probably would not work for GDC in San Francisco, but you should pitch that to GDC Austin. Again, a long time ago, rest in peace, GDC Austin. And I was kind of like, what? I'm, I'm nobody. <laughs> I know nothing. And he's like, yeah, just you should pitch that. And I did, and it got accepted. And now it is a longstanding once a year thing at GDC. Um, so there, there are lots of different ways, different avenues that you can get into speaking. Um, I did also want to look at for a brief moment because we probably have people who have been thinking, you know, I would like to speak, but I really don't know what the benefits might be for me besides great embarrassment and anxiety and having to speak in front of people. Why is it worth it? What what benefits have you gotten um, from speaking at conferences and conventions? Well, I think well, there's like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please go ahead. Oh, all right. Um, I think that there's, for me, well, for me personally, this is just based on, you know, someone who's been doing this for about five years now, you know, like I'm now a regular at many conferences and I've done a lot of paid speaker engagements at colleges and other places. And, so it's just for me personally, I think that there's like two aspects of it. One of them being, um, well, like I said, this is just a personal thing. Feel free to take this with a huge barrel of salt. 
I I like it because it makes me feel a lot more confident in myself yes. and my abilities, my knowledge. Um, shameless plug. Um, maybe I'll link to this in the chat later. I kind of can't with my hands full right now. <laughs> but I wrote an essay, um, you know, basically telling imposter syndrome to go fuck itself. Um, you might really enjoy this essay because I know a lot of people, especially a lot of marginalized people um, in, you know, in the creative fields, um, doubly so in games, feel a sense of imposter syndrome. But when I'm up there and I know that, you know, hey, those, these conference organizers selected me to talk about this. I keep getting asked back to this event year after year or better yet, I was invited to go rant about this. That means they trust me, they trust my knowledge, they trust my people and my research skills. Eat a dick and pass the syndrome, that's what I'm... <laughs> um, okay, so that's the personal side of, of, of you know, what I think is a very big benefit of speaking at events. There's a very big personal element to it. But then, as for like the professional and like industry side of things, it's because other people who are you know attending that you're giving also are, you know, hey, they're benefiting from your knowledge, your experience, your perspectives, um, your individual skills as a speaker. While they're benefiting, you know, from all that, it's also that you're also, like, you know, increasing consciousness of some, of some issues, you know, you're introducing, yeah, you know, like, new perspectives yeah. to people who may not have thought to, like, do things a certain way. Like, case in point, like, there was this whole blow-up on Twitter a few weeks ago, which was really shitty because, like, someone someone was basically, like, openly mocking, you know, I think it was either a student or, like, a very, like, novice indie dev who used, like, spreadsheets to make his game. Like, oh, God, like, why would you do that? I'm like, are you kidding me? I love going to all these events because I go to talks, you know, I listen, I give my talks, people listen, and you learn about... It just opens up, you know, your worldview because you learn about all these different tools, different constraints, different, you know, there's just, there's just so much to learn, so much to discover, and I love being able to, like, give back to that. And and then um, to close, because we got other people to talk, <laughs> um, to end on that note, it's also that, you know, yeah, so when you're, when you're, when you're up on that stage, you know, sharing that perspective with people, it's also that you have their undivided attention in a time when getting people's attention can just be more difficult because we have to focus on so many things. Whereas, like, yeah, like, because, like, that Twitter post or that blog post or even this very thing we're doing right now on Discord can easily be lost, you know, in 20 other tabs you got in. But when, they're, but when people are there at that conference, they're focusing on you, you know, and so... That is why it's such a big benefit to keep doing these events because you've got that focus. Now you got to make the most of it. Yeah, yeah. I I was gonna say actually many of the same things that that, uh, that Rachel did because like I I I absolutely feel as you say that like rush of confidence of like oh my god people actually like are listening to me and think that the things I'm saying are important. This is exactly. awesome. I, I want to do this all the time. Um, and also as you say like particularly in my talks I really connect with the fact of I have a lot of uh, students and a lot of marginalized people come to my talks about sex and games and things and to see them coming up and 
being like, wow, so like, it, you know, sometimes it's not even about teaching someone uh, something new. It's about having them come up to you afterwards and be like, I'd always felt that way. And it felt so validating to have somebody else say that or to put it into words or something like that. Um, yes. But I've always yeah. loved your talks, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, the other thing, of course, is to a certain extent, like, you know, in, in terms of the networking element, it is also a really good way to get your name out there and sort of circulating, particularly if, like me, you are allergic to social media and you're just like, oh, I have to have a Twitter account. I have to tweet. I have to <laughs> increase my visibility and brand. Oh, I don't want to. Um, whereas, so, I mean, as a result, yeah, I probably don't have as many people know about me, but the people who get to see my talks, like, I, I'm able to build that as you say, closer connection with them because as, as Rachel says, they're paying attention. They're there to like attend the talk and we get, everybody gets something out of it. Um, the other thing is that it has definitely opened up opportunities to me. Like, you know, when, particularly when I started and I didn't have that like big portfolio, uh, instead of just being like, I'm Michelle, I've done like these two games. It's I'm Michelle, I've done these two games and I've done this series of incredibly well-received talks on you know this particular topic um and of course it sort of led to uh, one of the other things i do is i'm actually chair of the uh, Roma uh igda romance and sexuality special interest group which uh is an organization for devs that are interested in making sex games and romance games and everything in between so and that and that ended up being a really good you know connection because everyone was like yeah no you should totally do that you've been talking about it so i'm like all right i'll do it um so yeah i think i think you know, there's definitely opportunities uh, that can open up uh, when you're when you're giving talks like this. Although I will say, and I'll we may go into it later, that sometimes they're not always the opportunities you expect. But mm -hmm. more on that later. Yes. <laughs> Toya, you want to go ahead? Oh I well, go I was going to let you go. I'll go last. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you know, plus one to all of that. Um, the, the comp, it really, really helps build your confidence um, for sure. And um, also speaking about the IGDA SIGs, it's through a poster session I did that I met the person with whom uh, I started working on the IGDA series game special interest group. Um, and it's, you know, particularly if your talk is stored somewhere with some kind of permanent uh, storage like the gdc vault it's a great way you know you can just direct uh folks who are interested in working with you or interested in i mean even like your powerpoint skills that kind of thing your research skills you can just direct them to the vault and they can check it out and it's very professional and nice to be able to do that um also it uh, speaking back to the giving back piece um it's been like really rewarding to be able to go speak at um at digipen and wellesley college two places where i studied just to to talk about topics that i'm really passionate about and also to um there's also the advocacy piece that's there i mean one of my talks i gave at gdc i got like get on my soapbox for sex workers you know to hundreds of people live and then also that's in the vault forever just um you just if you're really really passionate about something and you've researched it and um, I mean, it comes through when you, we'll, we'll talk a little later about like, how do I choose the topics and things, but um, I think it really comes through and, and people respect the work and, and want to work with you. You know, um, I definitely have gotten contracts and job inquiries and things based on uh, my speaking engagements, especially ones that are stored online. But 
yeah, it, it's got a ripple effect that it's kind of hard to <laughs> calculate, but. Uh, oh, absolutely. The same thing. That, so, like, that, that Indicate talk was really what kicked off my career more than anything, because I was already mm -hmm. a playcrafting instructor before that. That was what led to um, the Indicate talk. But, oh, yeah, it absolutely has, you know, this famous ripple effect. And when, when people see that you're really passionate about a topic and about a cause, that also can really attract people to you. Um, that's definitely been my experience. Mm -hmm. Me too. Well, I've, I've got both personal and practical. I'll start with the practical. And uh, Michelle touched upon being allergic to social media. Um, <laughs> I don't get on social media because I'd never get off of it. <laughs> so I've learned That is a, a danger. <laughs> it is a very big danger. Um, but, you know, being in front of an audience, having your name on a list of, of speakers lets people know that you exist. Um, mm -hmm. And several times we've mentioned, you know, if you are marginalized, the industry is so freaking competitive. Just mm -hmm. having your face in front, of, in front of an audience lets people know that you are there. Um, and especially, you know, because I belong to several marginalized groups, I have had people who belong to the same marginalized, group, marginalized groups come up and tell me how important it was to see somebody like them speaking and letting them know, hey, I can be in this industry too. So that's really important. And also we, we, we use the word network a lot. It's like this very businessy, very impersonal concept, but it really isn't because your network can also be your friends. Your, your network becomes mm -hmm. professional colleagues and you gain more friends <laughs> when you speak. Um, yes. And I, actually I was, I was saying this when I got cut off um, two weeks ago, but like um, we all have a mutual friend who has been searching and searching for work and um, because we've gotten to know her through speaking engagements and being at conferences together, whenever we see something pop up that would be great for her, we always tag her. Um, mm -hmm. So having a network of both uh, professional and uh, friends and colleagues is super important just to help each other out as well. Um, and you know, when you speak and you hear people speak on the certain, certain topics and you know that they're experts at it, when those job opportunities do come along, you know that they would be perfect for them and you can direct those opportunities their way. So, so, okay, try something really quick about networking. Um, sure. To give yet another shameless plug, I wrote a piece on Gama Sutra about this a while ago. <laughs> um, because um, I, the, way I, the way I put it in there was actually something up at the very beginning. I said, there's just two tenets. I said, look, forget everything that like your college professors or career services department that your parents taught you about networking, there's only two rules. A, don't come off as thirsty, and B, just talk to people. Uh, and I think that people, you know, are, have tended to forget that because they think of networking as this really you know, stiff and formal kind of thing where it's just like, oh, and these are only people I reach out to if I, if I need a job or if I need a gig. And it's really more of an ongoing process, and yeah, that you know, you're making friends, you're making contacts, you're, you got to frame it in, what can you do for each other, not just, mm -hmm. oh, can this person help me get a job? And I think that that mindset, you know, is really like something mm -hmm. people got to overcome. Yeah, 
and it, it's and you're right that sort of speaking is a really way a good way in many ways to to get over it um i mean obviously like in in one-on-one interactions as well but like when you're speaking you are reaching that like larger crowd and you never know like yeah that student in, in the audience might end up being your boss in two years time that is actually <laughs> what happened to me one like i applied for a job and the editor was just like oh wait you're that michelle you do those talks yeah 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 you're in and i'm like you know fantastic and it's it's you know that 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 would not have happened if in a one-on-one interaction i had been like oh she's a student she's not going to to help my career which i wouldn't be anyway but it's it's particularly like speaking means you will never fall into that trap um you know whereas what whereas the sort of like as you say the kind of networking that i think we usually think of where you've got like a canapé and a glass of wine and you're like trying to work <laughs> it's very easy to fall into that mindset because you're just like, I'm only going to be here for two hours and then I want to get out of here and go home and like put my feet up. So, so I have to use my time properly. Whereas in a spe- whereas in a speaking engagement, you're like, okay, everybody in this room, this is now my network. I, I've reached all these people. Exactly. And, and like you said, with like not dissing students, I think it's just something you need to, you know, like not do in terms of decency, regardless Absolutely. of like any future benefits. Like I said, I'm sorry, I'm still mad about the whole thing where that student, you know, was being like dissed for using Excel sheets. And that's not just because I'm an ex-accountant who uses spreadsheets in my game dev work a lot. <laughs> not just because I took it from it, no, but it doesn't matter what the tool is, you don't diss a student. It's a crappy thing to do as it is, but especially you never know where that student's gonna go. I've had students in my audience, you know, who I kept up with on Twitter, you know, through email, and then a lot of them have, like, you know, yeah, gone on to some pretty cool jobs, you know, or build or or building their own indie studios, and and then guess what? I've actually had more students hire me as a consultant, mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of you know, really established uh, people just putting yeah. that out there. So you never yeah. know. Um, so someone who's just making their first game or has no credits yet. You gotta build each other up. Don't focus on just like the big kahunas in the yeah. room. Because yeah, they might help you once or twice, but you really gotta build each other up. Yeah. And approach networking that way. Okay, I'm gonna jump in here because we got a couple questions from the chat. Um, okay. One of the questions is what's your recommendation for archiving talks and panels if the conference doesn't save recordings? Like, like recording at the show, getting releases and permission to record and all that nitty gritty. And after we talk about that, I'll ask the second question. And that's from Lantana Games on Twitch. Hmm. I'll be honest. I haven't, I haven't experienced that yet just cause like, you know, most of my talks have been at GDC. And so, you know, they've, they've, they've done all the archiving. Uh, on the other hand, their archiving is sort of behind a paywall. Um, if someone was, if I, if I had to do my own archiving, uh, I would probably try and find a way to host it maybe on like on my own site and just basically do the recording, uh, you know, record my voice over the slides. Cause my slides are very kind of image intensive and you sort of need them to get the effect. Um, but maybe, maybe everybody else has, has better experience, uh, in that than I do. Well, I was just going to say, um, a lot of times the conference will have you sign sort of a contract. So they're in control of what happens to both the audio and the video. Um, However, I am a part of a local group here where I am. And um, we sometimes record our events and we have our own YouTube channel. 
So if you have the ability to record talks for yourself, I would highly recommend uh, setting up a YouTube channel and archiving everything there. So uh, it becomes kind of a repository and people know where to look. You can direct them very easily. Yep, and just something I'll chime in and say is make sure before you apply to a conference, do your research about what they allow. If, if, if recording it is really important to you, there are just some that are black events and they won't, mm -hmm. they're very strict about it or you need a release or something. So yeah, just do that research ahead of time if you can. Yeah, I was just gonna say if they don't have like an FAQ or something or most of the time there will be some kind of terms of service contract you're gonna have to sign. I would check that contract first. If you don't see anything, just ask the conference organizer so you can plan in advance yeah. of how you would yeah. do this. Like, you know, if you're just going to, like, set your phone up on the podium or maybe have a friend, you know, with their phone in the audience or a camera do something, yeah. Just mm -hmm. check your terms, of, check, check the service uh, contract first before you sign it, and then if you don't see anything, just ask the event organizers. Yeah. And as a follow on for that, if they are kind of um, very specific about like not sharing the the, the specific talk online, uh, check uh, if that extends to things like, for example, their slide templates. Like there may it may be a case of okay, we don't want you giving a a a video of this specific talk with this specific slide deck, but if you go off and like change the template of the slide deck so that it's now like instead of Paxdev or GDC, it's you know, Toya, you know, Toya, Christian Finley or Alexandra Lucas and just, uh, you know, uh, give it out that way. Um, some conferences are okay with that. Or ask if you can, or ask better yet if it's just okay for you to get like, say, a two or three minute clip um, removing all the conference's branding just so you can have it like for a demo reel if you're trying to get into a speaker bureau or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like say, okay, like I understand I can't the entire talk online, but can I just get like a two or three minute clip for my portfolio and just see what they say? Mm -hmm. All right, let me ask the next question from Lantana Games. Um, I've given dozens of talks at conventions and schools, but always have to reach out on my own. Are there lists worth getting on? Mm. Uh, like a, a list of conferences or website that has them categorized? Yeah, that has like where oh. you can do, where you can speak at them. Um, so, I know that the IG. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I, I, go ahead because mine was a lot, a lot more vague. <laughs> okay, because I was just going to say, if if you are an IGDA member, you will get this very comprehensive newsletter with various, um, you know, like games industry related events on it. Um, if you're on Twitter at all, there's also um, I can't remember the I can't remember the name off the top of my head. If I go on Twitter, I could probably find it. There is an entire Twitter account dedicated solely to games events. Because um, I know that, like, it's pretty vague just to say, oh, you'll just go on Twitter, you can find stuff. And, oh, yeah, I guess I have found about things by being on Twitter way too much for my own good. <laughs> but here we go. It's at events for games. Hmm. Yeah, it's good to know that exists because um, a long time ago there was a website that would keep up with events and then it's I've tried to do it myself it is very very difficult because what yeah. you find out when you start doing research there are a lot more events than you realize yeah it's even worse now mm -hmm. yeah. I say worse but 
it's a great time if you're a speaker because yes. we've had we've got a list that I've been populating of just the online events happening between now and August. There are twenty some of them. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and that's including yeah. own shameless plug. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's absolutely crazy. I wrote an article earlier this week in response to the games industry biz article that's like, what does a year without event meant for, mean for indies? And I'm like, it's actually a wonderful opportunity. And there was a guy on Twitter that I, I saw this morning and he was like, I'm a professional speaker. Now what? And I'm like, it's an opportunity. But anyway, anyway. Okay. Yeah. So, so Lantana games I, says, I mean, more specifically speaker lists. Like if a conference or school is looking for a speaker to give a talk on a specific topic, the list that they'd look at to find speakers. Is there a list of speakers? That one's... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Not that I'm aware of. I've always gotten my college speaking gigs by... I may, I assembled a spreadsheet of schools with game design programs. I hit a bunch of them up and, um, you know, I tried to see if I had any luck that way after I exhausted my network of people who I met at conferences. And nine times I attend, the conferences always got me more hits than reaching out and cold calling. Although it doesn't hurt to do it especially if you've got some speaker gigs under your belt already. Um, yeah, but with that said, there's no specific like list I can think of aside from, yeah, like reaching out and making your own. I apologize if that's not very conclusive, but that's what I did. Yeah. Um, I, I might be able to add a, a couple uh, ideas onto it because most of my speaking gigs have been like through me applying for them. Um, having said that, the, the two ways I've gotten other speaking gigs, um, or at least adjacent uh, to that, is one is obviously to have your own website and to mention on your website that you were a speaker, then you know, there and have a way to contact you because uh, every now and again, you know, someone will just be googling something like "I need speakers for blah 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 topic," and uh, they might end up finding your you know your website if you know if it if it uh pops up on the hits the other way to get on quote unquote speakers list is quite frankly befriend your fellow speakers and then you get emails from people like toya being like michelle i'm doing a online round table would you like to be on your online round table i'm like i would love to be on the online round table so yes. Yeah, so I, so if if you're looking for something where there's some master list that conferences consult, sadly no. Uh, but what they will do is probably like someone who you know might be up either approached or have approached them, and then later on they might be like, okay, I need people for my panel or roundtable. Who do I know that would be good at that? Oh, hey, that person would be good at it. So again, it sort of comes back to your sort of like network of friends and and colleagues. Um, Alexandra mentioned uh, a little earlier subject matter and how you come up with topics. Um, I know that can be kind of a daunting task for some people thinking about what the heck could I possibly talk about? Or there are so many things that I could talk about. How do I choose? So in, in your experience, how have you come up with your topics and thought, well, this would be something that I could really share my knowledge about? Okay, we'll caveat with that. So um, I recognize this approach may not work for everybody, but this is mostly what's worked for, for me, is I look at specific topics that I have experience and knowledge in that I see don't really get discussed that much um, in games. Um, so like, for instance, yes, yeah, so I do a lot of business-related talks, but business itself is such 
a wide field. Um, I wrote a book about tax law for game devs because I, like, as I mentioned, I was a tax accountant before I got into all this. And um, I found that those talks easily got accepted just because they couldn't find anyone else to discuss them. Um, you may not have that same kind of luck, you know, with the topics that you have in mind. But like I said, these what makes these conferences, you know, so awesome and a way to really, like, power up, you know, your career is, is because they're all about those perspectives and topics that people may not have really explored before. So what I'm saying is, like, yeah, because you have, like, yeah, like the popular things, all right? Like, people want to know how you market a game, but what about specific types of marketing? Like, why would you choose this method over this one? Why do you think this game sold and this one didn't? How does your professional experience, you know, like, line up with the point of the talk you want to give? So if you don't have some, you know, like, a topic that is just barely covered, think about the takeaway. What should attendees be taking away from your talk about a more popular topic? Why would they Why would they go to this? Like, approach it as if you were attending the conference. Why would you want to go to, like, yeah, the umpteen talk on game marketing? Like, what's the takeaway for you? Like, yeah. So you, you were mentioning um, what are people not talking about. The way I put it is fill the holes. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when you when you go to conventions or conferences or you look at the topics, what are they not talking about? Like the very the the roundtable I do at GDC every year that I mentioned was my first game industry speaking engagement. That was a hole that needed to be filled. Mm -hmm. um, later on, um, we added a narrative tutorial at GDC, um, which has become the narrative tutorial at ECGC. That was a hole that needed to be filled. Um, you know, people who were going to the narrative track were like, I wish there were more practical ways to get my hands on, um, you know, working through everything that I'm hearing about. So we're like, okay, let's do workshops and have people actually writing uh, the things that we're talking about. And then the last hole um, more recently has been nobody was talking about freelancing. Mm -hmm. um, so like about five years ago when, you know, a lot of uh, jobs were, employed jobs were drying up, people started coming to me and say, how do you do that freelancing thing just in like uh, in private conversations, you know, after the event was over for the day? I was like, hmm, nobody's talking about freelancing. So I started doing lectures about that. And now I have a roundtable about that at GDC. So what holes need to be filled and can you fill them? Yeah, that's definitely what I tried to do. Yeah, with business um, for indies, because a lot of business talks you know, tend to be geared more towards biz dev managers at larger studios rather than you know independent developers who have completely different budgets completely different lifestyles to consider and that yeah that was a big tenet in how sonic toad took off mm -hmm. um i think it's also important to think about like there was mention of lived experience a bit um everyone is like a specialist in at least one topic that it's something you don't even think about because it's just part of your daily life part of mm -hmm. or it's been part of your life for a long time so like a few years ago i gave a talk um with my husband who has a psych background about like how disney emoji blitz helps me cope with anxiety so that was something like i have narrative design i have 
lived experience with anxiety. So I could speak to that. Um, and that topic just like manifested. We didn't, it was just something we, he and I had talked about. And then all of a sudden, oh, why don't we just give a talk on it? Um, and also think about, you know, what are you passionate about when it comes to games? What got you interested in games um, to begin with? So I like, you know, particularly in the Bioware space, uh, I was really interested in romance, sexuality, and gender. And that led to my first like solo GDC talk about like the triple goddess uh paradigm and mass effect so um and and that came together in part because of my english major it was just i already had this information in the back of my mind and so when i saw it in a game i was like oh that clicks immediately for me. um so yeah definitely think about like what you have training in that you sort of you might take for granted or think everyone else knows but probably they don't they or they may not yeah but Brooke, that was actually one of the reasons why we started this show it's because i realized even 10 years ago that there was knowledge that i assumed everybody had mm -hmm. but they didn't and, and, mm -hmm. and you don't yeah. know you even if you've only been doing this two years if you have a question chances are thousands of other people have the very same question they just haven't asked it yeah, yet. So, yeah. or they know, haven't but, gotten to the point where they need to like they haven't reached that point where they need to ask it yet but they will and then they'll be like crap i really need to know that that thing right now um <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boosting off of what uh, Alexandra was saying, like I, I like for me, it's not only just a case of like uh, what is your passion, like what is what is your passion about the games you're making, but also what are you passionate about speaking about? Because you know, to a certain extent, you know, you want to get up there and you want to you want to inform, but to a certain extent, you also want to entertain. You want to be talking about something that really gets you excited and really gets you like you know motivated and, and engaged with your audience. Um, at the risk of opening myself up to the obvious joke, uh, the the sort of hole in the industry that I filled was thirsty fangirl that keeps beating the industry over the head with like, why is there not more sex in games? And why isn't there more <laughs> sexual content for women? Come on. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and to a certain extent, you know, like it, generating ideas for talks has not been too difficult because obviously there's like so many variations you can go, uh, go with that, but also just because like, it's something I'm really excited to talk about. Like it's something that if, you know, if I'm hanging out with all of these people for coffee and somebody introduces the subject, I'll be like right i have thoughts we're all going to hear them let's talk about it right now um so i i think having bringing that energy to a talk i think is is important and it will help it helps to come up with those ideas and just think about what are what are the sorts of things that i would you know very happily talk for 30 minutes or an hour about um so yeah that 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 helps as well Michelle, oh, your passion shines through when you talk. <laughs> just, just putting a plug in for you. <laughs> yes, that, that passion is what really you know makes people to listen to you. It's what makes you an engaging speaker, and and that, and, and it's infectious. People, people catch you know people will catch on. That's like because I see it like you know in some of the gigs that you know I've had where people got really excited you know actually like yeah like talking about you know even some of these like business topics i've gotten into when i you know want to make them like you know less of like a boring thing with like okay here's some here's some statistics from the sba here's some statistics from steam but like what are you gonna do with that information how are you gonna present it and get the audience interested 
And then I think that audience participation is also key to this because, yeah, mm. you want to ask, like, so, yeah, so let's say, yeah, you're giving a talk about sex and games. You're like, hey, like, how many of you have, like, played a video game and you thought there wasn't enough sex in it? Like, that, that, that's a question that gets people, you know, fired up. Like, <laughs> maybe I can't quite do that where I'm like, oh, who wants to get sexy and talk about, you know, their tax returns and R&D credits, like, <laughs> but I still find a way to snark about it and make laugh and then be like, and then explain it in a way that they find, you know, easy to comprehend because I've gotten their attention. And then also that can really help you get a feel for the room because sometimes you get, you know, a room full of people who have like no familiarity with the topic mm -hmm. whatsoever. Um, no, no, because like whenever I give you my talks about, about business, um, no, I've had all kinds of audiences like where I ask I actually will ask the room by a show of hands how many of you have actually started a business entity before? because that also can help me tailor the talk as we go um mm -hmm. because if, if over half the has has some experience with this there's probably some things that would be safer to skip over for instance but yeah but having like a feel for the audience and having passion be infectious yeah, that's what makes the yeah, like speaker gigs just like so much more effective than some other ways of putting your name out there. Mm -hmm. So have you found that having that niche has been really helpful? We've talked about the person to go to for sex and games, the person to go to for business and marketing. So so this was this was the thing I was I was sort of alluding to earlier about like that may not be the opportunities that that you expect because it's been a running joke with me that I I go to these these conferences I go to GDC and I talk endlessly about sex and games and how to write centrally and how to write erotically and all this stuff and then at the end there's always some my next client is always wow we really liked your talk would you come and do this science fiction game that has absolutely no romance or sex in it whatsoever <laughs> and I've always been like I mean, yeah, like work is work. I like work, but um, I, I guess my brain, like, did you did you not check what my topic was about? And in contrast, I'll be like going up to like, you know, the romance and sex game people and be like, oh my God, I love your work. You know, hello, Bioware, I really love your work. Here's my resume, please hire me. And like nothing, like tumbleweeds. So occasionally like I I like I love my niche. I, I embrace it. Uh, I, at one point I had people being like, well, do you want to be known as like, you might want to like try other topics because you don't want to be known as the sex and games lady and now i'm like no 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 no. i'm very happy to be the sex and games lady um <laughs> but it is sort of weird that like i never come away with fr from gdc with the sex and games lady jobs it's very strange so like my my actual portfolio is just oh no oh no we lost no, the oh no <laughs> Oh, there he's oh. back. <laughs> hey, no, sorry, sorry, technical difficulties. We were hanging um, on every word, and it's like, no, yeah. she was about to tell us. We were looking for that hole to fill. That's what we were doing. <laughs> so sorry. What, oh my god. What was the last thing before my Discord? I said before my Discord crashed. You love being the sex again. You said and, and oh the god. secret to life is, and then yeah, that was it. Okay, so uh, yeah, I was just I I what I said after that is it's just funny because i never come away with the sex and games lady jobs after gdc it's my my portfolio is just riddled with you know completely non-romance non-sex related jobs that i still get through my my speaking gigs because like they know of me they find my website they approach me but it's just so that, that's why i'm kind of like having a niche is great i embrace it but
but don't always be surprised if occasionally the work you get has absolutely nothing to do with your niche. <laughs> oh yeah, I never imagined in a million years that me, someone yeah, who basically lives in like a storage unit in the box with a desk, um, would have a home design column. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have because um, I am also a writer in addition to being a game dev, and I stumbled upon this freaking interior design and real estate column and uh yeah i kind of wound up running away with it <laughs> so you never know you just gotta be open-minded you just never know you know like what kind of opportunities you're gonna wind up with please um, tell me you're going to do a, a a talk sometime about interior design in video games <laughs> actually um i have um yeah uh, yet another shameless plug i actually did an article recently right after um you know the pandemic was declared I actually did um, a piece for my column. The place is called Home Stragus. Go check it out. I actually did a piece about um, how video games can help us fulfill incredibly banal fantasies. And one of them being the way that you can, you know, decorate your own house. Because you know, you know, we've had that writing gag forever about how Stardew Valley is basically yeah, just one giant, like, fantasy, you know, broke-ass millennials. Like, oh, you can actually own a house you can get married you can decorate it this is all stuff that we can't do in real life now and you know like that, like that gag's been running forever we're actually like yeah delved into some of the more like semantics i guess of like the role of the home in games yeah so go i should actually just start making a list of all the stuff i shamelessly plug because that's the point of being here you gotta shamelessly plug yourself you gotta sh be shameless about it because come on like that no, 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 there's no time for modesty, especially, um, no, especially if you're a woman, if you're in a marginalized group, freaking be proud of your work. I am proud as fuck that I have an audience, and no one's gonna dare tell me any different. So, you, you just gotta take it to the work. next level, Rachel. You know, when you get tired of self, you know, plugging everything, you have to start <laughs> your own stream and, and podcast because that's for sure ultimate. Yeah. Don't worry yeah. about, you know, plugging your, your own work here. This entire podcast is about that. So, yeah, you're good. <laughs> I'd say uh, yeah. uh, keep an open mind about where your niche can take you to. It's, it can be so unexpected, unpredictable. I, I guess I would say uh, my niche is, like, gender identity, LGBTQ plus concerns, and mental health um, awareness, I guess. Uh, making sure characters are, like, being sensitive to those groups and part because I'm part of them. Um, and I just, I never in a thousand years would have expected that that niche would take me to working on Microsoft's Cortana <laughs> for two years. Like my focus <laughs> for that was like, I, uh, you know, was on the team that figured out how to respond to questions that Cortana gets that kind of fall under the sexual harassment umbrella. But mm. like, who knew that's a job? What? So, um, but yeah, that was really fascinating. And I was like uniquely qualified um, in part because of the research I've done, chapters I've written and talks I've given on a lot of those. So we've got about 10 minutes left and I think it would be really helpful to go over best practices for pitching to conferences and to conventions because this is another thing that you rarely see people discussing or talking about. And I know veterans in the industry who still are like i don't know how to write a good pitch for this um so yeah 
Toya? Yep. Unless y'all have things to do, we can go over. It's okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I'm fine going yeah, I'm, fine going is, a little bit. I'm loving this right now. So <laughs> as long as Andy can go and y'all can go, we can go. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm good. This is my, interesting stuff. My biggest piece of advice if you want to get talks accepted, and this is coming from both my experience um, you know, applying to you know, to schools, to game dev things, um, and whatnot. And this also comes from one of my clients who was a professional motivational speaker. Like, no, like this guy, yeah, like travels like the freaking country and world, you know, getting to give talks at like corporate sales events, um, and, you know, professional association things. Um, and so I learned a lot from working with him as um so like i said be open-minded to the stuff that you wind you wind up with because um you know it can actually really help your career in numerous other ways um so i actually learned a lot from with a professional motivational speaker like he really helped me get my speaker career to the next level um and the thing that he and i are both going to suggest here is like i said like i said earlier focus on the takeaway that's the thing that conference organizers really love to see, um, whether they're a conference organizer or a sector working with like a corporate event or like a school, um, the event planner. The event planner wants to see two things. The first being, yeah, the takeaway for the attendees. So before you even dive into your credentials, your, you know, your speaker experience, mainly why are you giving this talk? Why would somebody um, who's coming to this event want to go to it? That's the first thing to focus on and then the second thing which this will come off less in your pitch and more just in how you interact with the organizer or event planner you want to demonstrate that you are a sweetheart to work with because the thing that's going to get you asked asked back to the same conferences to the same schools for paying work um What's going to get that up is that, yeah, you got to demonstrate that you're easy to work with, that you make the event planner's life easy. Those are just the two biggest things I've had in my experience and, and having a professional uh, speaker as a client. So um, I, I, I plus one all of that. Uh, I will also add on, and this is going to sound like, possibly terrible but it's i don't think it is actually terrible um and that is don't discount the power of uh making connections and and men and mentorship connections with the organizers or or the or the sort of either experienced speakers or the actual um you know committee members or uh speaker hosts because they can give you guidance like i would not have the speaking um, experience that I do if it hadn't been that the fact that I had first like made friends with Tom Abernathy just like independent of any wanting to speak you know we'd known each other for years and then we started talking about it I was able to talk about what you know like I had all these thoughts on the topic again you know like rambling for ages and so as a result, he was able, like he he first said, you should pitch this, and he was able to guide me through the pitching process, um, and and also to like you know to give advice of how like how best to um, uh, tailor my pitch, and like he absolutely said, like as Rachel says about the takeaway. But my magic word for that toolbox. If you could say the person will leave with a toolbox of blah blah blah, then it sort of gives across the idea that like yeah, we're they're actually going to have tools at the end of this that they can use. In their work um but yeah so like that's that is another like source of uh you know if if you're worried about the pitching process i don't mean again to like you know 
I'm going to become best friends with the, with the speaker organizers just so I can like pick their brains about this. But don't discount those genuine connections that you you know may forge with those people who are organizing conferences because they they can help you. You know they might up they might not have the time to like completely walk you through it, but they will be able to help you tailor your pitch uh, the the best that you possibly can. Uh, what's uh, yeah, some people will know just tricks and tips that are specific to certain conferences. Like I had a colleague tell me to, when I was applying to GDC, you know, check the lecture box for 60 minutes, I want to say, because they can always cut it down to 20. Just like something like, oh, she just knew from going through the process before. Um, and also uh, really dive into details and specifics. Um, it's not the time to be coy or like, I will reveal X, Y, Z. Um, they want to know it all. Uh, just transparency from the beginning. And also, um, you know, put yourself in the reviewer's shoes if you can. Just think about like, oh, I have to read, you know, 200 of these. What's going to grab my attention? What's going to be unique for the, and what fits for this conference? You know, some conferences are very themed around a specific thing or um, sections of conference are themed around a specific thing. So just like do your research and figure out what's a good fit. And also um, some conferences, again, have archives. So you can look and see what has been talked about before. So as we were talking about, you know, fill, fill the hole. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but fill those gaps, yeah, of topics that haven't been addressed. So I'm going to apologize in advance, but I'm going to take everybody back to intro level writing classes. Um, I am a former TA, I am a writer and an editor, and really my background uh, in those experiences helped me with writing pitches. And that's, think about, you know, in the West, we have the five point essay. You have an introduction with a thesis, that is your argument. Then you have the body where you support the thesis and then you have a conclusion. And if you can do that, like Alexander was saying, get their attention right away. You're not rambling if you say, this is what my argument is. This is what I'm going to be talking about. Um, this is why this particular topic is important. Rachel has been mentioning the takeaway. This is going to be the takeaway from this particular topic. And um, this is what people are going to learn. Uh, the other thing is um, there are different ways that um, uh, conferences have for you to pitch. So like GDC has an extremely extensive process. You have to write like basically an essay with 500 characters and then they ask you, ask you for your background in speaking and they ask you for your credits. And then a conference like ECGC is just like, oh, tell us about the talk in like 200 characters. And that's it. <laughs> But it packs, PAX Dev and PAX and the PAXs are very similar to ECGC. And what I find is that little just tell us briefly about your talk is more, that's the blurb that they're going to use for their website and their conference materials. So you want it to be succinct so that attendees understand what the talk is going to be about, but that may not be enough space for you to truly explain what you're going to cover. So if you have um, the space other, in other ways to talk about what the topic's going to be about, use it. For example, with PAX, you have that space for the blurb. And then later on, it's like, anything else you want to tell us? Take the time to tell them. 
-hmm. Also, if there's a place for you to attach documentation or slides, do that too. Um, you know, all of us have spoken on, um, you know, similar topics. You can recycle topics. I learned that as an MA also, you know, again, we're talking about English majors. And one thing I, I learned from one of my professors is you can always recycle your own material. Um, you know, you can um, reinvent a talk or reinvent a paper. And so what I do is if I have spoken on something similar, I attach it. Um, when I submitted something to PaxDev a couple of years ago, I had a chapter coming out in a book. I attached the, uh, the copy of the chapter. You know, I've attached uh, slides to show, hey, I've spoken about this before. So, you know, it's always up to the reviewers to read it or not beyond like that blurb. Um, but I, I think you put your best foot forward the more information and detail that you can give beyond just that initial character box. Also, bullet point outlines. Good stuff. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, we, we've been we've been joking about being English majors, but if it's one thing that I have learned about working with people in the industry, including people who are storytellers, not everybody likes to read. <laughs> okay, so make it easy for them to get the information that they want. Um, if they, like I was saying, if they want more information, they can get it. Um, but don't force them to find it, like Michelle was saying, nice bullet points, they draw the eye, you know, keep the bullet points succinct. You know, if you have a bullet point, don't have paragraphs for bullet points, you know, one line is, is enough. Oh, and speaking to documentation, I was going to say, Toya, you do a great job of this um, oh, on your you. website. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, um, having the list of your speaking engage your past speaking engagements ready to go and also a bio like a current bio ready to go um i just have a word doc that has that stuff in it plus like a bio that is like 150 words maybe and then one that's like 50 words like a, you know because different oh, yeah. uh forms have different character limits um but just that was something when i was first starting it felt like overwhelming oh my gosh i have to write a bio but yeah once you've got it it's funny you mentioned my speaker history. The reason why I did that is because I got tired every year of having to find my credits yep. and find my speaker history and put all that stuff into the GDC box. So I just yep. said, you know what, I'm going to make a, a, a page on my website. Mm -hmm. So every year I'm just going to have to, you know, copy that link and so it's done. Smart. <laughs> we are, but as on the on the business side of anything, we constantly teach developers and preach about having a press kit. You have to. I, I'm with you. I have like Google Docs of all of that stuff. You have to have almost the same sort of press kit about yourself and the things that you're going to be talking about at this conference. I had to look see if my mic was on. Uh, <laughs> but but you have to do the very same thing, and so that's wonderful advice, Toy. Well, um, one other thing, um, if, if we're still cool on time. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think it's important to talk about different events. A uh, professional conference is going to be run differently than a fan convention, which is going to be different than an academic conference. Um, so knowing your audience, again, um, is very important. Uh, how do you choose your topics for, say, the professional event versus the fan event? 
before we we answer that question, I actually uh, sorry this this just reminded me of something I should have mentioned in the previous question, which is uh, there are also those kind of indie like very alt indie events where they have almost like sign up for a five minute talk when you just show up like like Lost Levels at uh, uh, for those that don't know Lost Levels is kind of an indie event that's happening at the same time as GDC in like the park and people just show up and sign up and like give five minute talks so that's also um uh, uh, a possibility as well sorry i, I just thought they was like oh yeah there's that, those as well those are also a resource so um sorry please go ahead <laughs> oh, oh, oh the 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 fan version is professional um if anybody wanted to jump in on on choosing topics for those if you're giving talks at like fan type events you just have to remember is that not all people who play games know how to make them mm -hmm. you just need to like you know try to avoid using some of like the jargon that we tend to use in the industry um because yeah not every enthusiast is going to really know the ins and outs of these things i mean it mm -hmm. doesn't hurt to like you know teach what some of these terms mean um but at the same token, you don't want to... You basically just got to like treat it like, okay, I'm going to assume that while they know about the finished product, they don't know about what goes on behind it. Mm -hmm. um, that's just been my experience at some of these like fan-type events um, that you can't assume that they know exactly what you're talking about the way that you would, like say, with a professional conference. Yeah. I would also say that... that um, I've, I've spoken at fan type conferences. I've given several uh, roundtables at uh, PAX West, and I would say one of the keys is um, that uh, the fan type conferences there's usually less focus on a takeaway, like or 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 at least a practical takeaway. So uh, you know, as an example for a fan type conference, I might just pitch something about like let's just talk about sex and games and some of these games that already have like sex scenes in them and how do they do them and do they do them well and blah blah blah. Whereas Whereas, like, when I'm doing that for GDC or an industry conference, I have to, I might be able to do a similar talk, but I have to think of it in terms of, and how will this give practical advice and practical information to the game developers afterwards? So, um, so that that to me is kind of the, the big difference that like a a, a fan. Uh, a fan type conference could be, to a certain extent, just a fireside chat about talking about this really cool topic, whereas uh, industry conferences, at least, you sort of have to feel like, okay, but you have, like, what will the developers and the people who attend be taking away that they can then use on the in their own, that they can then apply in their own game development? Yeah, I I mean, I, I feel like you've, uh, y'all summed it up really well. The I'd say I can speak to fan, professional, and academic, I guess. And I don't know, the, the quick, I feel like fan ones, it, the core focus is entertainment. Um, where, and then the professional one, like you were saying, practical takeaways, how can I apply this to my game dev like tomorrow? And then academic, it feels like you can go into analysis just for, and you know, for the sake of it. Um, and also adding to like the further pop culture, conversation or whatever your topic is but um mm -hmm. yeah i think it, it's about the depth and about the what the folk like is it for entertainment is it for practical application 
I think also like the academic conferences adding a little bit more research not that you have to go into a whole lot more depth but like if you can um add uh, additional research that people can do um especially even if it's at the bottom of a slide is is very helpful because um you know some of the people who are going to be in in attendance have done lots and lots of research and studies into stuff um so backing up what you're saying is really important um i gave my first keynote back in November, which was at an academic conference. And um, I was, again, filling a hole <laughs> that I had not seen anybody <laughs> talking about. And so I wanted to back up what I was saying with Reacher, saying, this is this is important. This is how I know this works on a psychological level. Um, and to, like, um, Alexander, you were mentioning entertainment. Sometimes, you know, at these fan conventions, just let everybody nerd out <laughs> and yeah. have fun. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, for sure. So, going back to you being sex and games lady um <laughs> you do a really good job of this like the you know the professional side how do i apply this to my work and okay well let's just talk about really great sex scenes from the fan perspective yes um, which is a lot bad of ones those are always bad knowledge as to how you know it's a good or bad scene but you're not bringing the technical stuff into it mm -hmm. the fun thing that you know even at fan conventions you're still going to have people who show up who are in the industry um mm -hmm. but it's just yeah like, you don't have to get into the nitty-gritty stuff you can just be yeah. a nerd yeah it is it can be fun like once you particularly once you get like used to you know when you get some experience doing uh these sorts of talks it can be fun to kind of mix the two a bit so like for example the the one talk i do uh the the, the toya has been on the round table uh at pax west which is about basically everybody picks a sex scene in a game and like kind of breaks down what they you know like more specifics about what they think about the scene and it is very much meant to sort of be like this like funny nerdy like you know let's all you know have a good time but it, the 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 deep dives can also get you know into some actual like you know interesting analysis of like what works in a sex scene and what doesn't um and then on the flip side as all of these people can can vouch when i do one of my like GDC talks, you know, serious industry professional talk, which and I approach it where if I don't have an, a, a comedic animated gif on every single slide, I've done something wrong, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so once you get like it, it takes a while to like find your kind of, um, you know, find the balance for whichever conference you're going to. Um, but you, you can absolutely, you know, make professional talks fun and make, uh, you know, fan talks uh, informative and, and, and practical. Um, but it, it but having said all that, it is important to remember what kind of conference it is and what sort of tone overall you're you're aiming to, to get across. So for, for anyone who has never spoken before, how do they know they're ready? Beyond, beyond like somebody who is a conference organizer saying, pitch that. Because <laughs> that's a Damn really it. easy one Damn it. That, that was See, that was going to be my answer. Um, <laughs> um, well, I, I, although I will, I will take it in a way and say, I think uh, when your peers or possibly your more like veteran peers are responding like when you're having talks with them about whatever your topic is and they are responding well to it and being like wow you have, this is really interesting and let that like that's a cool point i'd never thought of that that's probably a sign that you have interesting things that you to say and that you should be sharing 
I've stunned everyone into silence. <laughs> I was just going to add, um, that's a good indicator. I guess I was thinking a bit more on like the personal. Yeah, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Rachel. Oh, did we lose Rachel? Oh no, Rachel. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, now we can. I don't know. my coming in at all? I can hear. I can. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. we can hear you. Okay. I do not know what was going on with that. My fame, my connection cracked out before, but can you hear me okay? Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now we so can't hear what you. Was the, what, was the, what was the point you were going to make? Because we did lose it. You know, like when you're ready to give a talk. Because, yeah, I've like, you know, yeah, I've talked about my... Oh, damn it. Um, I, was, I was trying to say, I was thinking from like the personal level, because... I've had people tell me, like, oh, I'm terrified of public speaking. I don't know if I can really do it. And I think that, like, for some people, like, who just, like, don't know if they're ready, you know, to take that step. Oh, I think we lost you again. Oh, oh. <laughs> We're on Topic that they're knowledgeable and passionate about. They... No! We can hear you now. Oh, no. I, I was just talking in the like in the same direction. I don't know what is going on with this thing. Yeah, um, you, you sort of break in and out. Like we get you, way, and then you just I was, go silent. I, okay, I don't know what is going on. I'm just gonna go type in the chat window because this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we can read it out. <laughs> I to add like a a really important um, type of speaking is the post mortem. And if you have worked on a game and finished a game, you can talk about that game. Um, and, and there are things that you will have learned uh, that you think will help other developers. So that's always something that you consider, can consider as well. And Rachel uh, may fill this in. I think she was starting to talk about it. But if shyness is something, mm -hmm. a barrier for people. Um, I mean, I was Toya might remember from <laughs> Many moons ago, I was painfully shy, and uh, the thought of getting up in front of people, it was just overwhelming. But um, if you know a topic really well, or you're passionate about a topic, like, it, even if you're shy or introverted, like, it, it will just spill out of you. Um, it definitely feels comfortable, because you've researched it, you know it. And another piece that's nice is after your talk is over, you automatically have something to talk to people about, or at just at a conference in general, so it can it can alleviate those feelings if that is something that's a barrier for you. A lot of a lot of conferences have breakout rooms where people can continue the discussion after you're talking, and that's a great way to boost your confidence because yeah. you will get feedback. You know, people are, oh, I love if, if they hang around, they love the talk. But you engage them; they they want to mm -hmm. talk more about it. And that really yeah. You, you could guess how successful your talk was based on how many subsequent talks the people who have like followed you outside miss while they're talking to you about what you just talked about. <laughs> just like, oh, we've missed the entire rest of GDC. Guess it was a really good talk. Um, I, I, I was going to say as well, like sort of tying into the shyness uh, and, and, and like the stage fright um, to a certain extent. Be willing to use that. Like, I remember at some point someone asked me, like, how do you manage to keep like you know, you speak so quickly and you're so energized during your talk. How do you manage that? And I'm like, pure shrieking terror. That is how I manage it. <laughs> Just like, ah, la, 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 la. 
I, I have only done one talk ever. I was asked to do a talk at Indie Game Con in, I guess it's a Eugene. And I was like, oh, sure, I'm a streamer. I've streamed in front of thousands of people. No big deal. So, man, I get there. And two minutes before the thing, I just start sweating. Just massive sweat coming <laughs> off my face, dripping off my beard. Uh, and then I got really freaked out. The talk went okay, but I was just shaking, and, and I was I was completely not prepared for that. I thought, oh, this will be just like streaming, and it totally was not just like streaming at all in any way, shape, or form. But it was fun. You know? Yeah. So Ra Rachel has, has posted her uh, 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 talk or, or uh, text. Does someone yeah. want to read it out? Because I, I don't know if they could actually see it on the on the stream. Oh, I've got it. So I was thinking of the are you ready question as a personal one. If you're scared at the prospect of public speaking, focus on a topic you're passionate about and start with a smaller event, example, loss levels, ECGC, instead of a huge one like PAX or GDC, and try rehearsing yourself and with a friend or a spouse, et cetera, before going public. I'm an extrovert, though, so public speaking became a strength after I was told all my life I couldn't do it. Smiley, blushing face. <laughs> yeah they're certainly like lower state events or you know if something isn't being filmed for instance or um you can talk to your network again find out like where audience is more friendly and forgiving mm -hmm. maybe uh, you know, tables. Like, oh sorry go ahead i was going to say high schools uh, mm. you know there are some game dev classes but even if there aren't kids like video games yeah. <laughs> you'll you'll yeah. have you will have an interested <laughs> and energetic audience um you can get comfortable speaking in front of them and michelle you're going to say roundtables uh, yeah i was going to say like i i find in many ways roundtables and panels are are like a great way to kind of almost dip your toe into public speaking because they are very they, they involve a very different approach than like a full 20 minute to 60 minute lecture where you've got to have speaking notes you've got to have a slide deck and everything's ter you know terribly terrifying whereas like the sorts of roundtables and panels that you know we take part of they're basically talks between friends and colleagues and it's a lot it's a easier to like this this is great you know this like this isn't terrifying at all compared to i still get terrified when i get up on a stage and have to like actually speak solo for you know for however many minutes um yeah. so yeah right Roundtables. Yeah, roundtables have a much more. I, I, I get, is my mic back on? Can you hear yes. me? Okay? Yes. Yes. Yay! Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> so, yeah, roundtables definitely have like a much more intimate element to them, you know, than like giving a talk in front of a huge audience because like you're combining both like the public speaking aspect with the audience participation aspect, like all at mm. once. You're just yeah, you're just literally sitting at a roundtable, just everyone's just discussing things. Um, yeah, it's what? definitely a different dynamic. I think, yeah, yeah, it is a very good way to, like, dip your toe into public speaking. So, like, if you're, if you're too nervous at the prospect, you know, of, like, getting up in front of an audience, it is a really good way to, like, get your feet wet with it. Let's talk about uh, different types of speaking engagements for a second. There are roundtables, panels, workshops, lectures, micro-talks. Um, which do you prefer and why? That's a good question, because I, I like doing all kinds of different things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they all have they all have different challenges that they pose. Um, I, just, I don't know. If it was 
If I had to, if I had to narrow it down just to two, honestly, if I had to narrow it down just to two, I guess it would actually be panels and workshops I like doing the most because I, I really just, you know, I like to explain how things work. Um, I like, you know, that people came and they really got, you know, a good takeaway from what I'm discussing. And then I like panels because I'm doing, like, kind of the same thing, except that I'm also getting other perspectives. I know we're, we're like, kind of, like, bantering and collaborating in front of an audience. And, like, there's just something really cool about that that I just don't get with when I'm doing, you know, a speaker gig by myself. Yeah, I uh, for me, I think it's, like, it's almost a two-part question of like there's stuff that i like in terms of my personal comfort level and then there's stuff that i like in terms of the final result and outcome if i was talking about like the one that in some ways is the easiest and and kind of most like oh this will be great it would probably be panels like like the one we're doing right now where it's you know where it's more not so much like everybody in the room participating but like a smaller group that's like you know has set questions going back and forth because to be blunt it's a lot less prep work and there is this kind of like easy uh like room for discussion and and conversation whereas like when i do a lecture frankly i spend like five months immolating myself every weekend trying to like get every slide absolutely <laughs> perfect i don't recommend that by the way um on the other hand i would be lying if i didn't say that like the sort of outcome of a lecture just feels amazing like after it's done it's just the greatest feeling in the world and like and having those people that like you know that have resonated and have like come away with something is like really really powerful um also i, I guess in in terms of what is the best balance of the two micro talks are actually like underrated in that respect because you can sort of you know you can have that that sort of like cool slides and cool topic but because you only have five minutes you only have so much you could do and there's a lot of polishing but you're not like you know you're not doing like a 200 slide deck like i may have in the past micro talks are definitely my favorite i for the, exactly the reasons you're saying it's kind of a mix the best parts of panel kind of and the best parts of lecture um so it's like you know they're five minutes long maybe depends on the situation you know, that's way less prep than a 60 minute lecture. And then you also get to learn, you know, from your fellow micro talk speakers, mm -hmm. like in the situations I've been in there, are, you know, four or five other people talking for five minutes about the umbrella topic. And I always learn something and then I get to talk with them network with them it's just really awesome i will also say one nice thing about micro talks is you don't feel the same pressure that you have to absolutely comprehensively cover a topic like because when yeah. i do like for example writing sex in games as like a 20 to 60 minute talk i'm like okay i have to say literally everything there is to say about the topic whereas when it's five minutes it's like okay i'm not like you know i'm not going to get it over everything i'm either going to have a very broad overview or I'll pick one specific little topic and dive deep on it, but it sort of frees you up from that expectation of, okay, I've got this giant lecture, I have to say everything. Uh, I, I, you can get lots of great information from any of them, but I absolutely love workshops. Um, and the reason why is because um, you can learn practical things, but everybody has different learning styles. 
And I think it's really important that people get their hands on what they're learning. There's something about putting your hands on it and doing what you just heard about to help it kind of click in your own brain. Um, and like a lot of times you can hear something and you're like, okay, I'm not sure exactly how I can apply this to my own work. But with a workshop, you're there doing it. And, you know, as somebody who gives like maybe a 20 minute lecture and then the rest of the two hours or so is for workshopping and doing exercises, if people have questions, if they need something clarified, it can be done in that workshop. Whereas if it's a panel or a micro talk or talk, they may not be able to do that. Um, so I like everything else. I like seeing people being able to work with the things that I've just been teaching. Toya does amazing workshops. By yeah. Way. Yes. I love your workshops at Pax Dev, Toya. Thank you. Okay, wait. I have a question. So, how does running a workshop end up differing from doing a lecture? And then the second part of that is, if you were to run a workshop online in the world that we live in now, how would you do that? Oh. Well, okay. it makes it. Oh, what differentiates a workshop from a lecture is that. It's much more audience participation with a workshop. You have to get a lot more hands-on. Whereas, like with a lecture, oh, people are there more to like. They're there to like listen to you talk, basically. I like, think about yeah, like going to like a lecture at school, for instance. Whereas, like with a workshop, like you're specifically there to like get like do more hands-on things, like exercises or like getting into groups of people. So, like I've been yet yeah, to like many workshops, you know, where we're like okay, we're going to go form an impromptu dev team. You know, let's go pick our different roles here. Let's say, yeah, like, how are we going to craft a narrative with, like, these random things uh, that we're going to, like, pick off of a dartboard? You know, like, stuff like that. Or let's go feel form, like, a fake business entity. Like, that's the kind of stuff I've done, like, in the workshops I've taught. It's much more hands-on, basically. Yeah, you're, you're really inviting people to work on the things, the takeaways that you've been discussing. Um, like I was mentioning, I might have a 20 minute lecture. Well, at the end of that lecture, I'll have a slide that mentions all the stuff we talked about. And then I will also have the exercises on that slide that extracting the points that I've put throughout the lecture. And now we're going to work on those points. So you can see specifically illustrating what I was talking about. Um, the online part of it. So uh, there's an easy way where you could do like the speaking part and have like your PowerPoint deck and people could hear that. Doing the exercises might be a little tricky. Um, I would use a platform like FreedCamp where you actually have discussion fora, not threads, <laughs> because mm -hmm. I think threads would be very difficult to manage. With discussion fora, you could, um, like Rachel was saying, you, if you if you had groups, you could have a discussion forum for each group, and then they could discuss the exercise. Um, if they needed to share files, they could attach the files to their posts. Um, you know, you could have FreedCamp open at the same time that you have Discord open or whatever platform you wanted to use for audio and, and video. Um, that's off the top of my head how I would do an online workshop. Um, I know that other people have done online workshops in the past, so it might take a little bit of research into that to make sure um, 
that the, the platforms would work and the technology would be comfortable for everybody to use. I have also um, taught online classes and it worked sort of in the same way, except we didn't have the video and the audio element. Um, there were like modules, you know, where people read the material um, and then they had a discussion forum and I, I had students in groups where they could talk about the topic throughout the week. And then they had um, an exercise that they finished at the end of the week. Uh, so it, it would also depend on um, how long would this workshop be running? Is this going to be a weekly seminar type of thing? Is it going to be a day? Is it going to be three days? Um, you know, to kind of figure out the time that people would be spending on the exercises themselves. So, you know, that question didn't come out of nowhere. Oh, we I, just I we, we just posted the <laughs> the ticket page and everything for the next IGB event, which is going to be in August, and we're going to have speakers. So, uh, you know, not to put y'all on the spot or anything, but if you want to test this out, then <laughs> we can do workshops, and there you go. I, I don't think anybody's going to be going anywhere. So, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down. Yeah, me too. Score. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I right, get the press release. I think out. I know gotta... what Michelle's workshop will be on. I, I just have a thought. Uh, <laughs> I'll think about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Filling the hole 101. It's uh... all <laughs> literally and figuratively. Yeah. The minute this came up as a metaphor, I'm like, oh, oh, I know where it's going, and I and I and I love it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that that like it's interesting because I actually haven't. I don't think I've had the chance to do to actually uh, give any workshops yet. So it'll be interesting to not only experiment in how to do out online workshops, but just sort of how to do workshops in general. But um, if nothing else, I might I might not immolate myself for five months doing slide decks at least. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are hitting the point here where we need to to wrap it soon. I see Andy nodding. Andy's probably nodding for the same reason I'm nodding. Um, yeah, it's starting to get hot. It's time yeah, for Jack Daniels. A lot of water, <laughs> a lot of coffee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I slept at breakfast. It's it's it like we started. I, I was thinking it was it was time for Jack Daniels, but that's fine. Well, you know, that's, <laughs> uh, so if anyone out there has any questions for our wonderful panel today, uh, toss them in the chat quickly, uh, mm -hmm. and we'll get them answered. And if you miss it. They're all on our Discord now. That's how I trick people into joining the Discord. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so you can go to discord.gg slash indie game business and you can find everybody there as well. So any last word, any last thoughts from, from you all? Um, no, I just famously plugged some of my work in the chat. Uh, go check it out. <laughs> I will just say that I am Chibi Bez in the discord and not to Chris and Finley. So if that's confusing, um, and just to kind of go back to circle back to what we said at the very beginning, um, speaking affords a lot of different opportunities, whether they are personal or professional, um, you can get book deals out of them as some of us have, mm -hmm. you can um, have a great support network. Um, and, and, and just if, if you have been thinking about it at all, and you've been afraid of getting in front of a live studio audience, guess what? Now you don't have to get in front of a live studio audience. There are going to be a lot of yes. uh, streaming conferences and that's an easy way to just put up your slide deck. They don't even have to see your face. All yes. they do is have to hear your voice. And guess what? 
Now you have something to put on your resume. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, sort of yes. uh, like adding on to that is also like it, it, another reason this is a great time to, to, to get that sort of speaking experience is uh, I will say about speaking as a sort of a downer, it can be a very expensive prospect because there are uh, quite often the conferences will not, you know, pay your way or will only give you a small stipend. So like I've probably, you know, it's a question of whether I've made more money or spent more money doing talking. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it can be a somewhat, um, uh, you know, there can be gatekeeping in that respect of just like who can afford to go to GDC versus who can't. But now we're all at home. Now we're all online. This seems like a good uh, equalizer in that capacity. So I really hope that uh, everybody sort of, you know, takes advantage of it. Although you can get a lot of pretty handsome tax write-offs for all those uh, conference expenses. Very um, true. And, and a lot of cool bags that you can use for grocery shopping, too. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, especially they put a plastic bag pad yeah. in. Yeah. So this, I so mean, the thing yeah, that I, I would toss out there, and I know yeah. this sounds a lot easier than it is in reality, but the bottom line is if you've got something that you want to talk about, submit it. The worst they can say is no. And you yeah. don't even, it's not like the whole world knows you got turned down for a speaking gig. It's the people on that conference panel that, that know. You you just need to, to send it out there. And if they say no, like it. they said no. Try again with, with a different one. There's no shortage of conferences in there, yeah. out there now. Or even try again. They say, oh, yeah, just because they're saying no right now doesn't mean that they won't in the future. Mm -hmm. um, no, because like I got, yeah, like I got my hopes up for GDC 2019 that, you know, that um, this uh, one like uh, group I had proposed, um, which actually, yeah, I think I think Toyo was actually there when we ran it at ECGC instead um, when I ran um, this thing about like alternative games careers, you know, about like, hey, sometimes think, you know, most of the time I actually would say things are not always as clear cut as graduate from school, go get a job at a studio or go indie like a lot of us took a lot of detours so, yeah we've taken stuff like yeah not related to our specific niche or stuff that's like not even in the industry sometimes um mm -hmm. but you just got to be open-minded about it and so yeah so we you know i had a panel with a few other people and we only talked about our experiences you know with that and um I was actually really looking forward to it being a GDC talk. It actually looked like we were going to get accepted because we made the first round, but then we didn't make the second one. So we took it to ECGC and, you know, it got pretty positive response. Just because, like, one conference says no doesn't mean that they're going to say no if you try again the next year. It also doesn't mean they're going to say no at a different event. So you got to roll the same with the punches. Conference. The same yeah. conference may reject it and then accept it. I've had that happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and the reason they accept or reject can be extremely variable. Like, I know several people that, like, you know, there are certain conferences that, you know, they tend to accept and reject basically based on, you know, how much of a resume you have. So, yeah, if you apply when you, you know, only, let's say, have two games to your name, they might be like, yeah, no, we, we pass. But then if you apply, like, you know, a year or two later when you've got a lot more credits under your thing, oh, yeah, now, now you're fine. You know, so, like, don't, you know, don't assume that just because they've said no, that it's a no forever. Yeah, definitely factor yeah. speaking into like the long game. It's mm -hmm. it's a yeah. I think it's part of the long term investment for your career. You know, it's building your network. 
um, like like you're saying, like just because one year I Tom Abernathy, like the first year that I got a GDC talk accepted um, narrative track, he was like, oh, I, you know, your talk from last year I wanted, but X Y Z wasn't ready, you know, whatever. Like they they're paying attention even if your work doesn't get get accepted the first time. Um, and then also for your long term well being. Um, I think Rachel mentioned imposter syndrome early on. That is something that, like, I'll go, even seasons feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a it's a thing that pops up no matter how much experience or how many accolades you have. It doesn't matter. It just it can creep up. Um, you know, speaking is a, just a great way to reinforce that you do know what you're talking about and you do have experience and your voices should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will add. Um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say there was a Prime Material cast from Twitch says, great talk. Is anybody speaking at Neroscope? No, but I will say no, I I was at Neroscope last year. It is a fantastic, fantastic conference that is now going to be streaming online. So everybody can attend it. Um, it, 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 It feels very much like a community. Everyone is welcome. Um, So I highly recommend checking that one out. And now it's online, so we can all go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I'm. I'm not. I'm not giving a talk at at uh, a Neroscope. And I was actually going to break in and, and say something slightly off topic, but still, I think worth considering. And that is that, like, as as useful and fantastic as speaking is, also don't forget self care. Like there, like there have definitely been years or times where I've just looked at it and been like. I like I put a lot of uh, myself into my talk as I said I immolate myself every weekend and sometimes I've just been like you know what I'm not going to do that this year I'm going to give myself a break I'm going to be there as an attendee uh, or or maybe like as like part of a panel or a roundtable so it's a bit less like you know prep work um, so you know it, and and that has its downsides because it's good to always keep yourself you know in the, the vision of you know people as it, as it is but you also have to take care of yourself so if you're like if you are just absolutely stressed out of your gird about like um you know giving speeches or doing like every single like conference or whatever it's okay to take a step back and say okay i'm not going to talk at that conference this year maybe next year uh or i will do you know i'll only do this conference that like two conferences this year uh and the other conferences i'll do next year Sorry, that was a downer. So no, it's all good. All good info. All good info. Anything else you want, would like to add there, Mr. J? No, I mean thank y'all. This is you, you mentioned going off topic. This is probably the most stayed on topic episode ever ever done ever. <laughs> it lasts about eight minutes, and then we go off on something. Right. Uh, but thank you all so much for this because. You know, this is fantastic. This is why we do these shows. And I really appreciate y'all taking the time to call in and, and hang out with us for, for an hour or so. Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank yeah, this you. Was great. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And also make sure, uh, like you said, discord.gg slash indie game business. And you can listen to the podcast, which this one will be up soon, anchor.fm slash indie game business. Got, we've got, how many do we have there? A hundred and something now, Jay? I don't even know. There's a lot of podcasts, man. There's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, everybody enjoy your hump day. That was not a joke about anything, but, um, (laughs) but, um, right. 
And thank you all so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Stay Bye. safe. We'll Take see care. everybody Friday. Yeah. Stay safe Bye. and hydrated. Bye. Yay. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.